From Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a lame man from birth was carried, was being carried, whom they da- laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood, began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognizing him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement. And what had happened to him? Here ends the reading of God's word. I called this sermon a lame trip to church. For it was on the way to the temple that this lame man was healed. I mainly named it that just because I thought it was really funny to put on the sign. Um, It's interesting. This story happens in Acts right after Passover. So the Holy Spirit has come to these people. Peter has preached his sermon, and the text records that 9,000 are saved. The disciples are staying in Jerusalem right now, and their movement is growing. Daily, they're adding to their numbers. Interestingly enough, the disciples did not go off and start a new religion. They don't have any idea that they're starting a thing called Christianity. They're Jews. They think they are following Judaism and they've just found the Messiah. So they continue to worship as Jews. Peter and John go to the temple about 3 p.m. for their normal Jewish afternoon prayers. I wonder if maybe the ninth hour was special for them. Remember, that's the moment that Jesus died. That's the moment that the temple veil had been torn in two. I wonder what the temple had done when the curtain had torn and how worship was continuing on. They enter by what is called the beautiful gate. And a lot of scholars have debated this. And and the fact is, we have no idea what the beautiful gate is. There were a number of gates that you were able to go into the temple from for worship. And this was apparently one that had been adorned, it had been painted, or had, had jewels and things on it because it was very beautiful. Ironically... There was a man sitting there who was lame, who was maybe not so beautiful. Now, the Old Testament expected the Jews to give to the poor. And so it was just part of Israel's life that there were people that were begging on the streets. And you were expected as part of your service to God to help those people out along the way. They weren't kicked out. They were allowed to be there and expected to be there. And so this would be a great place to be because everyone was going into the temple and you had also kind of guilt working for you, right? You're going before God and if you haven't given in a while, there you go. And so there's this man sitting in this public place, 
places where Jesus had probably walked past, places that Jesus had seen people before. Peter and John come walking in to worship and to prayer, and they find this man lame from birth. Now, don't skip over that detail, because being lame from birth is very different in their mindset from somebody who's simply lame because of an accident. Often the Bible adds that detail. Somebody's lame from birth, blind from birth, and it means several things. Partly it means that it was likely that everybody believed your family was cursed. Why would you be born lame? Why weren't you born whole? What did this person's parents do or grandparents do to receive such a curse from God? Jesus is questioned about this uh, by the Jewish leadership at one point. He'd never been a full part of the community. He'd always been an outcast. He probably had been taken care of by his family when he was young. But once his family has passed, he is on his own. He can't work. He can't get jobs. There's no place for him to be. So he begs. He can't even get there. It says he was carried there. So he at least has other beggar friends willing to help him out. But in the community, he is alone. Being lame from birth also means that if he was healed, there would be no excuse to say, well, he just got back what he had lost. No, no, no. He has never walked. He has always been like this. And we know from the text, something about his feet and ankles make it so that he simply cannot walk. The man is unnamed. We need to watch out for nameless characters in the Bible. There's going to be an all-star team in heaven of nameless characters that we're all going to want to meet, like the Samaritan woman at the well, And the man who comes and talks to Jesus at night, you got all these characters. Jesus seems to care about the least lost and broken. And often it's the nameless characters in scriptures that have something to teach us about what God is really like. And so the man looks and he sees two men walking by and he asks for alms. He asks these people going into the temple And then the text gets ridiculously specific, oddly specific, okay, that they stop. And Peter and John direct their gaze at the man. And actually, in Greek, all these words for looking are different words. They look at the man. They direct their gaze at the man. Peter says, look at us. Look at us. I mean, this is a weird kind of specific details in what has been a very big picture passage. Apparently the man wasn't looking at them. Apparently the man is looking at the ground, kind of hands out, or he's got a, a, he wouldn't have had like a can, right? But something to where people could drop a few coins in. But he's not making eye contact with anybody. He's not looking up at people. He's down. You can imagine him looking down. But he looks up, the text says. Expecting to receive some money or perhaps some food. Notice he doesn't ask for a miracle. He's not asking to be healed. In fact, he's been lame his whole life. Healing for him doesn't even seem like a possibility. He's never even thought of being healed. I am what I am. Just give me what I need to get through today. But Peter says these amazing words. I have no silver and gold. But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. Maybe if he'd had a buck on him, he would have just dropped a buck. Maybe if he'd had a fish or a a 
loaf of bread. He might have just given that, but he he's got nothing. So he says, I got nothing. All I got is two things for you. The name of Jesus and the ability to walk and a miracle. Peter takes him by the hand. You got to imagine that that might have been weird for that man. When was the last person somebody had touched him? Somebody who wasn't a beggar, somebody who wasn't helping him, didn't see him as dirty and outcast. When's the last time this man was actually touched? And what does the text say? What does the text say? Peter raised him up. He said, he said, rise up. Peter says, rise up. And then he picks him and he raises him up. What amazing language after Easter. He doesn't just pick him up. He raises him up. He gets to his feet and all of a sudden his ankles are made strong. And he, he starts to kind of walk. And you can imagine him stumbling. Like, have you, have you ever watched a video or, or something of like a horse being born? And they, they kind of like trying to figure out how to use their legs because they've never used them before. This man rises up and is kind of figuring out. And the text says he begins to leap. But I wonder if part of the leaping is he keeps falling over and he's got to leap back up. He's never done this before. And he starts praising God. And then he walks with them into the temple. Had this man ever been allowed in the temple before? How many years had that man sat at the temple gates and never been allowed in because he was an outcast, because he was broken, or because he was ashamed? But he walks in with them, side by side with them, and he's leaping, and he's dancing around, and he's praising God, and all the people start to notice, hey, are you the lame guy? Shouldn't you be sitting out there? What are you doing? How many times had they passed this lame man? How many people in there had given change to this lame man or never given change to this lame man? And now all of a sudden, this downtrodden man is walking around among them. How many times had he hung his head so that they didn't even know what he looked like when he was talking to them? They're trying to look at him, you know, trying to look at the top of his head because maybe that's what they're used to seeing with this man. And he's praising God. Now this nameless man, this outcast, is walking among them in worship. If you keep reading the book of Acts, the story gets really fascinating from here. Because this story unlocks a series of events. Peter uses his crowd to give a sermon, this great big sermon on Solomon's portico, this, this area that, that they're in. And if you continue to read the story, this really upsets the, the, the temple leadership. So he's brought in for questioning before the priests and the Sadducees. And all of those early followers start praying and start, uh, start asking God for boldness in the middle of this. Remember the context. These are the same people that just a couple of months earlier have had Jesus killed. These are the same people who did that. They know how this can end. And this is Peter. This is Peter who denied Jesus three times, praying for boldness. And he is amazingly bold before them. Let me pick up the story in Acts 4, verse 13. Now, when they, the priests and the Sadducees, saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? 
For, they, for that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called, they called them and charged them not to speak or teach all at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it was right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must be the judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let him go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. I mean, think about this. All this starts with this lame, this lame man, man who's never walked, who gets healed because Peter doesn't have any change on him. And it ends up causing this uproar where Peter gets to proclaim the name of Jesus and all of Jerusalem is spreading rumors about what happens to this man because everybody's past this man. Everybody knows what happened. 40 years old. Since the time he was probably pretty young, he'd been sitting at that very gate. That was his spot. And now he's walking around among them. And the priests look at these Peter and John, Peter who's denied Jesus, and says, what do you, you got to stop this. And they start threatening him. But what? Peter and John have this amazing boldness. And who's standing beside them? This nameless, lame man. Standing beside them as a testimony to God's healing. This is a story of two miracles. A lame man gaining the ability to walk. And the boldness and testimony of this blossoming group of Christ followers. This man is raised out of his weakness and brokenness and out of fringe status in the community. And we see here that the disciples are being defined by the resurrection. For the disciples, the resurrection isn't just something that happens with Jesus. It's something that happens to us. That we are made whole and complete I think we need to think about four things from this story. First, it means that resurrection brings healness and wholeness. Healing and wholeness. Do you have a pain in your life? A loss? Maybe you feel that you've been stuck with something since birth. Maybe you don't feel like you can be part of the lives of others. So you hang your head on the ground. Maybe you feel like an outcast. But resurrection is for you. You are not stuck. You can be raised. And there are others to raise you up. And God is reaching out his hand to you even now. Second, I think when we talk about resurrection in our own lives, it really means being treated like a person. I'm struck by how Peter and John treat this man. They look at him. They make eye contact with him. They grab him by the hand. They walk into the temple beside him. They bring him to worship. One of the problems with poverty and illness is that it's often dehumanizing. Um, if you, when we talk about the poor, we don't talk about people with names. We talk about numbers and statistics. When people are in the hospital or uh, in nursing homes, it, it can be difficult because you're touched all the time, but not normally as a person. You're touched more like a, like a robot or a thing, something to be fixed. People come in and give your blood pressure. People come in and check your, your, uh, your vitals. 
But does someone put a hand on your shoulder in comfort or does somebody shake your hand? When I go to a hospital or a nursing home, and I would encourage you to be like this too, I try to be able to appropriately and humanly touch people. Shake their hand. Okay, grasp their hand. Put a hand on their shoulder. Why? Because it can be so dehumanizing to be broken, to be uh, weak. Part of healing starts with treating people as human beings. We see this in the public discourse, right? When we can talk about people as a number or as a group or as a, as, as a thing, then we can treat them terribly. But if they're human beings with stories and with names who we've seen eye to eye, it's really hard to hate. It's really hard to dehumanize. Did you know that most major med- many major medical schools now requ- require classes on stories and on listening to patient stories? How many of you have been to a doctor's office where you want to tell, and you've been rehearsing on your way to the doctor's office, how you're going to tell them how you got hurt or what it feels like? And you've had a doctor that doesn't want to hear your story. They just want to take your vitals. And you, you get in there and you're like, I feel like a car. Like you're an auto mechanic. And one of the things that they found is that doctors miss a lot of details and a lot of tools for diagnosis when they don't hear stories. When they don't hear stories. I know when my mom started having epileptic seizures, the first doctor she had wouldn't hear the, how the experience was for her. She, they just started testing for stuff. And then she got another doctor, and the doctor said, tell me what it's like when it happens. And she starts telling him, and he says, oh, that sounds like this kind of seizure. And he got the diagnosis. Why? Because he heard the story, because he treated her like a person. You want that kind of doctor, right? That's how healing happens for Christians, too. That we treat people with respect, that we treat one another with respect. We look each other in the eye, and we know each other by name, and we care about one another. Peter and John treat this person as a man. And they begin healing him, not when they pick him up and raise him. They they begin healing when they look him in the eye. That's where healing starts. Third, the resurrection happens in community in the context of worship. Where does this miracle happen? Immediately, the man's healed, and what do they do? They walk into church. And side by side, they say, "This, this person is with us, right? This person is with us, and he's healed, and he's whole. Church should be a place where you're accepted and welcomed as a person, where you can be yourself, where you can look each other in the eye and know each other by name, like cheers, right? This place should be like cheers, where everybody knows your name. That's what we want. And uh, we need to do that. We need to sometimes push ourselves a little bit to care for people that maybe we don't know as well in the community. Because I think the fourth thing we need to know from this story is that like Peter and John, we are meant to offer healing and wholeness to others. We are people of the resurrection. That doesn't mean that just that God raises in our own life, but he means that we are to go around and raise other people up out of their pain, out of their sorrows. If I, if I read you this story and I left out who did the healing, who would you think healed the lame man? Probably Jesus. But this isn't Jesus doing the healing. This is Peter and John doing the healing. And you know what that means? That means we should be doing healing. What if we took seriously the idea that we're supposed to bring healing? And maybe sometimes that means physically healing. Maybe sometimes that means emotional healing. Maybe that means relational healing. What if God is working in us enough power 
to bring healing and wholeness to others. Right? The priests are astonished that they're these uneducated common men doing so much. And don't we often look at ourselves and think, oh, I'm not that spiritual. I don't know that much. I'm not that powerful. I'm not that, I still have all these weak areas in my life. And maybe God's saying, no, no, no. You may be common too. But I still want to bring some healing through you. Now God may call us to give money. God may call us to give food. But sometimes we hide behind those areas of giving. Instead of doing the hard work of actually caring for people by looking them in the eye. It's much less safe. It's much messier. It's much riskier. And like Peter and John, I think we need boldness. Boldness, not just to stand up to resistance, but boldness to weigh into the lives of other people. Thanks be to God that he is healing us and that through us he is calling us to heal others. Maybe we need to do a little more leaping, a little more praising God and a little more testifying to the great work in our lives so that Jesus might be praised and glorified by others because of us. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for this story of Peter and John healing. Forgive us that we don't leap and get excited about the great things you've done in our lives. Forgive us that we get caught up on the areas where we wanted you to heal us a certain way and you didn't. Forgive us that we sometimes miss out on the, other, the opportunities to treat the others around us with respect and maybe bring some healing in their lives. Open our eyes to those opportunities. We pray in Jesus' name.